My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 132 of Cinepunks. A Yeah. Hey, Liam. What's up, buddy? Oh, hi, Josh. So happy to talk to you, man. Yeah, it, it doesn't... It's been a fucked up week, man. How are you? Yo, man, it's... I, I think on yeah. terms of our recording schedule, we're not that off. It hasn't been that long. Like, it's not like... Because mm. we've gone, like, two months without recording before. Yeah. So this isn't that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in our lives, it feels like we have not been able to get it together. Like, because we've had this idea of what we're doing today, y'all, for a while. We've been talking about talking about these two movies. So for those of you who didn't read the description, we're talking about uh, A Bittersweet Life, a Korean film from... Oh, 2007, I think. I don't know. We'll no. have to look it up. Um, uh, uh, and uh, 2006, actually, uh, I think. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Um, and uh, <laughs> Survive Style 5, a movie that before Josh brought it up, uh, not for this recording, but we'll get to what he first brought it up for later. Um, I had never even heard of this movie. I didn't know anything about this movie. And Josh, no way, really? Yeah, never even heard of it. And Josh brought it in my life. Ooh, split the difference. A bitter split life. Two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and this is two thousand four. Survive style five is two thousand four. Right, right. So we're talking about a mid two thousands uh. episode. Which is it crazy, Josh, to think that like mid two thousands means fifteen years ago? Like there are people who could be listening to this who were babies or little children when these movies came out i guess that's fair it's still like, weird but you like, know whatever well just think about it like if we have any like 20 year old listeners i'm not saying we do but if we did which would be cool because it's nice <laughs> it's nice to think we're relevant to people who are the future of the, of the country if we have any 20 year old listeners they were like five or four when this these movies came out. Why would they even, you know, know about them? You know what I mean? So it's just yeah, that's yeah. it's just an interesting thought that like these are movies that in a sense are almost too recent for people to be like obsessing over the way they do some other things, but are so old that some people might not have heard of them. And I, I like the funniest when we do thing that. is I was just recently talking to somebody about uh, Lifetime, about the band Lifetime. I was talking about it on sure. Twitter or something, and friend of the show, Herb Schellinger, was like, nobody under age 45 likes Lifetime. It's like, God, it's true. <laughs> it's so true. No, I, Every I, Lifetime show is all 40-year-old people. See, I, I saw that, and I actually disagree. And here's why. Oh, there are a chunk. There are a chunk of people who are younger than us, but are still irrelevantly old, who got in the lifetime on the comeback record. In fact, I would oh. argue there are a bunch of people in their 30s who would tell you and me that the best lifetime record is the comeback record. I've heard is that the take. Decay Dance one. Yeah, I've heard that take before. That 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 the 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 comeback record is their superior material, and I don't know how I feel about that because I've literally never listened to it, not even once. Oh, it's good. And the video that they dropped for that record has Jeff Pelly in it, which is awesome. But that said, oh, come on. Hello, bastards. Are you kidding me? Like, that's the thing. See, that's you say one. that, you say that, and this is where you're older than me. I'm a Jersey Best Dancers guy. As far as uh, I'm concerned, it, it Lifetime begins and ends with Jersey be- Jersey's Best Dancers, and everything else is cool, but I, I could live without it. Oh, wow. No, Dangerism, like that song, Rodeo Clown, like those things were like, that's where I got in, in the basements. Like I wasn't around for the Lifetime, um, the, the first record, the slow yeah. stuff. Yeah. But when, when they had like the girl in the band and all that stuff. But uh, once um, 
Hello Bastards came out, I was, I, that's when I just moved to, you know, uh, North is Jersey. It, is it weird it was, that the that only the song I know from the slow period feels like an incel song? You know, I was thinking about that recently, that Morrissey's incel music. And yeah. that totally tracks if that's the case. It's you know what just, I mean? Because there's just, there's like time. one old, there's one song on that old stuff, the old slow stuff that's still a little bit catchy. It has like a fast part. And the other day I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, there was that one song. And I started trying to remember the words. And I remembered, oh, this is kind of a creepy, like, not, it's more of a jealous, it's more of like a jealous boyfriend song, but it's got that whole like, I live in the basement and I hate women vibe, which is like, you know, I'm sure they were like 16 at the time, but this is why 16 year old uh, heterosexual male music is usually like not great because you're just <laughs> mad at your ex girlfriend. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it, man. I get it. I don't know. I'll be goddamned if it didn't hit at the right time, though. That, I mean, specifically the Tonight is Seven Inch that Wagon Cheeks played on. Sure, like that sure. Shit right there. I mean, no, going back to it, there. I like the I like the the Hell of Bastard stuff, but that slow stuff is like, oh, again, there's a couple of songs on the slow release that are a little bit faster that I kind of like, but uh, a lot of their slowest stuff is just it's it's interminable. I don't understand how people yeah. dig on it. And it's funny, it's unlistenable to me. And like, I have older friends that are like, no, that's Lifetime. That's what Lifetime is. I'm like, oh, no, sir. No. Straight Edge Hardcore was introduced to me as a lyric. That's what you put in your song. No, thank you. But, um, you know, yeah. everything after. Mm, I mean, oh, like lovely. I said, there are people for whom, not that they don't love Hello Bastards and Jersey's Best Dancers, but I do think there are people who got into Lifetime through that, that, uh, that return. Yeah, it's weird, material. man. What's funny is um, I remember there was one practice when Cross Keys was writing Saviors and Wagon Sheets had just come on and we had started putting songs together for the EP and we were working through songs that we had already written with our other drummer, with Steve, with Wags. And there was a moment right in the middle of the practice space where Wags stopped everybody and he just was like, yo, this feels like Lifetime in 1993. And like I had to be like, Guys, I'm going to go in the bathroom and cry bitter tears into Dave's sink right now. I'll talk to you in about 15 to 20. And I did that. That's <laughs> crazy. So stupid. I know. It's dumb. But what are we talking about today, Lee? We're not talking about Lifetime. We're talking about Asian movies. It's true. We're talking about love. We're yeah, talking about sorry, a, a Korean film by a director that a lot of people know. Uh, mm-hmm. you, a lot of people have seen I Saw the Devil or uh, what's the other one? The Good, the Bad, and the Weird. Yeah, good, the bad, yeah. and the weird. Yeah, I think oh, those are his so two good. biggest films. He also did an American movie, right? Called um, Kim Ji Woon's American movie was called wait, which actually The Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes, The Johnny Last Knoxville? Stand. Yes, yeah, I don't know how many people. Also, I don't know how many people know him from that, but he did. <laughs> Johnny Knoxville and Schwarzenegger. I 100% have never seen that movie, and I guarantee you that trend is going to continue in my life. I will. I will surprise you and say it's pretty good. But I will say the two movies when you're talking about Josh was just talking before we started recording everybody about how uh, this director is one of his favorite directors, and uh, I I knew that when you said that you had not seen all of his films because I feel like. Uh, that means you're talking about Doomsday Book, which is not good, and The oh, Last wow, Stand, which is not good. However, yeah, but I'm also talking about A Tale of Two Sisters. No, I know, I know, fucking but, but, unbelievable. But I don't think we've seen. Let me just clarify. Since 2013, which at this point <laughs> is eight years ago, 
We haven't seen any of his movies. One Perfect Day, The X, The Age of Shadows, Along the Wolf Brigade. These are his bigger sort of like uh, higher profile movies in Korea, right? And we haven't seen them. Mm -hmm. So like saying like we're huge fans is kind of like saying you're a huge John Woo fan back in the day when Mission Impossible 2 was coming out and you've only (laughs) seen his Hong Kong movies. So like, yeah, yeah, you might be a John Woo fan, but you're kind of not too. You know what I mean? Like, I guess also the fairness would be to say that I'm I'm a big fan of particular movies by Kim Ji-woon. Well, I don't think Would it's be- I don't think it's bad to say you're a fan, but but I, I do think it's worth acknowledging for our audience's sake. If you if you're someone who has seen all of his movies and are surprised when we say we're big fans, let's be clear we're we're mildly posers because we have not made an effort <laughs> to see his new movies. Like literally, That's if fair, you had yeah. asked if you had asked me, I would I would have been like, yeah, he did. I saw the devil, and then he's just not been around. And I've seen. The Doomsday Book and The Last Stand, and I didn't bother to notice who directed them. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen I Seen the Devil. Oh, that's his best movie, hands down, without a it doubt. No it? comparison. Best movie. His no best shit. movie. With without even with a doubt. Two Sisters. Far above. Far. Oh, not even a fair no. comparison. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, of course, you know, I mean, my opinion here, blah blah blah. And I, but it's, I feel strongly enough about this that I think you'll agree with me when you see it. It's his best movie. I will also say that we're making fun of the Last Stand. I didn't hate the Last Stand. Did I know it was directed by him? No, I saw that movie at home. I didn't go to a movie theater, but I saw it at home. Didn't bother to pay attention to who directed it and thought. Oh, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Would I have maybe judged it a little bit harsher actually if I knew that uh, our man here directed it? Kim Ji Woon. I probably would have actually because I I think he's really great. So I, I would have expected something transcendent, and it's not that. But it is a capable action movie that makes better use of Arnold Schwarzenegger than you think was possible. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like fun. I'm there. Uh, and then the other movie. The other movie we're talking about is Survive Style 5. Do you have anything to tell us about this movie? That I fucking love this movie. I yeah. love Survive Style 5. It's one of those movies that I saw at a film festival. And um, it was one of those things where I felt like nobody had heard of it. And I was like, how come nobody knows this movie is goddamn amazing? And also, you got to understand, like this movie came to me at around a time when I was just getting into somewhat quasi-surrealist movie and also just feeling the after effects of like a Tarantino style storytell, right? Like just kind of getting past Tarantino, but also getting into more like weird movies, more movies like Kaozu, you know what I mean? Like, so this movie hit me right at the perfect time and it's never left me. And man, I love this movie. And you've never I mean, seen it before now. No, 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 no. I've never seen it. I had never even really heard of it. It's worth noting that the director, this was his first feature length. He did two shorts before this. He's only done one other movie. So if you miss Survive Style 5, it's not like, oh, well, I know him from his other st- stuff. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, there's no huge catalog or anything. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, yeah. but, but I do think having now checked out the movie because we're talking about it, I do think it actually has a bigger audience than I realized, and I think more people know about it. I just happen to not be one of those people who was aware of this movie. Um, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll get into it. But mm-hmm. before we do all of that, we just wanted to acknowledge 
this plan of talking about these movies for y'all's enjoyment has been on the burner for a while and just life has been hell lately for Josh yeah. and for me. We've just been going through a lot. Not all of it's negative, but all of it has been busy. And so like we're we to us it's like we've crossed a we've crossed an endless sea to reach each other. <laughs> We've crossed the chasm, the void. And I'll I'll be honest with you, it's been all pretty negative for me. It's not been that's true. That's true. You know what I mean? There has not been much, much respite from this perpetual deluge of just fucked upness in life, and I'm not having a good time. But I mean, like you know, it's not like like foundational things are like completely gone. You know what I mean? Like Melani still has my back, and I'm still you know here with my baby, and George is still with us for however long that is. So like you know. It's it's cool, but it's also like man, just every turn has been like a wall. Every single one, brick wall. Every turn, I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, I think because we don't actually know when this episode is coming out, but we can say like last weekend we had our um, online screening uh, that was curated by Doug Tilly and Adriana Gober. Uh, I just want to thank them and thank everyone who came out. They were both really challenging movies, and I think that um, not everyone stuck around, but a lot of people did stick around, and I just appreciate that. And I feel like it took people a sec to like get into it, but I think people really gave them a chance, and I really appreciate that. Um, and I, I really appreciate them for picking two very unique movies that I think would have uh, would have been hard to, to find. Uh, and I bring that up to say that... Um, you know whether you're hearing this before Saturday or after Saturday, these two movies are Josh's picks for his screening this Saturday. Yay! The first is this the first time I've curated a film thing? Yeah, I Perhaps. think so. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. We've done stuff for Cinadelphia, but we have yeah I mean, that was a long time we, ago. We kind of hosted other people though, like to 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 showcase them. Being a curator yeah. where you just pick movies that you want to show this is i think this is your first time doing that for for an audience yeah yeah this is true this is true uh if you know we did do another state of mind one time uh yeah i did the another state of mind screening one time and literally oh that's true that's true that's true yeah but we did have a beautiful flyer from friend of the show and cinepunk forever mr evan valella so thank you oh that that is very true yeah well i bring all that up not just to say that to let you know that the, these are the two movies that are either going to screen or have screened already. But to say to you, oh, did you not know about our online screening? Well, that's probably one of many reasons you should be a part of our Patreon. We want to thank all of our patrons for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, that's a good group of folks who give of their hard-earned money to help us produce this show, as well as a whole host of other shows to keep the network going, and hopefully to expand to do new things, to host new events once events are safe and possible, uh, and and hopefully to even offer more content as well. And on Patreon, we update people who are our patrons about every screening. We also invite our Facebook friends. So it's not just patrons who come to the screening. Uh, but mm. if you're wondering, like, well, how do I find out about these screenings when they come up? How do I get the info? Well, you have a few options, uh, one of which is you could support us on Patreon. Uh, if you don't like that option, then you could just pay attention to our Twitter account. And we usually say, like, hey, there's something coming up. And then you can DM us for the details. Uh, that's yeah. about it. I'm not really going to give any more details than that because, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. <laughs> you know, it's no, it's, it's not. It's, it's an it's an ask a punk situation. So you know, it's if an you're, exclusive if you're know, scenario. You know. I don't yeah, know if yeah. you know. 
Yeah, but we, uh, yeah, we only we, cater to the to, to the exclusive Cinepunks audience. I like how you took the. Uh, I like That's how you young. took. I like how you took the. Uh, the underground, we're keeping this on the DL so we don't get in trouble thing, and made it into a, a, a VIP club. You, you took the punk house and you made it a rap video, is what you did. Yeah, man, and I appreciate sorry. that. Y'all can't sit with us. You know what I'm saying? It's just what it is. We, of course, also want to thank our sponsors, uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, XLVACX.com. Josh, what is Lehigh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations known for? They're known for t shirts. <laughs> And Chris Reject. <laughs> I, I gave you this opportunity to talk about them as the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley. And instead you just went, T-shirts. So one of the things that I did this past weekend is that I recorded um, a bunch of demos for my new solo record. And on that record is a song that I wrote for Chris Reject called A Song for Chris Reject. And uh, I feel like I don't have to say anything else anymore. <laughs> I appreciate there, that. Man. <laughs> yeah, that's that song is our that, that song is our last ad for Chris Reject, <laughs> and uh, now he can just pay us like fifty bucks an episode because that song exists. <laughs> Not true. No, if you need t-shirts, if you need stuff, if you need posters, if you need cozies for your beers in the summer, I don't know what you hipsters do, but if you need stuff written on them shits that you do have, talk to our man's Chris at xlvacx.com. And they will take care of you, and they're good peoples and good company to support. So tell them Cinepunk sent you. Mm-hmm. That's right. Tell them that. Yo, uh, we also want to... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I got distracted. Uh, we also want to thank our sponsors over at uh, Essex Coffee Roasters. Um, our man Aaron Dahlbeck started this coffee company. He you know, is offering you... Basically, the, the highest quality beans uh, roasted to order, so they're as fresh as possible, um, uh, at uh, the fairest prices he could possibly offer, and also in partnership with a lot of different um, uh, bands and uh, record Entities. companies and other things like that. He also has high quality tea. He's got merch. It's really great. Head over to all Essex Coffee Roasters, and when you're checking out, you're going to want to use code Cinepunk, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, to Ba-boom. get to get a ten percent off of your ten percent off. Yeah. yeah, yay, yeah. Thanks, Aaron, and thanks Essex Coffee. You guys are always awesome and so kind to us. And they just did a coffee collaboration with Hellminded Records, home of a little band you might have heard of, The Cross Keys. Boom. That's right. The Cross Keys. That's us. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. So big up to Essex Coffee Roasters, and thank you for your support. And again, put Cinepunks in at your checkout, and you get 10% off your order. Dope. So good. All right. So those are all our sponsors, and thank you. So now, um, what are we doing now? We do something... Oh man! Oh, there's a I thing. Don't know. Wait, don't we just go into? Wait, isn't there a discussion now about something that happens? Oh, are we take a break, maybe? No, uh, it's not I don't break. Know. Time. I don't have to pee just yet. Yeah, I think it might be time for our patented, internationally renowned, and locally respected segment that is known as. <gasps> Whacking on track. Ah, woo! Oh man, that was kind of good. I thought like that was. Yeah, man. Good. You know, I went slow burn. I went slow burn on him. So, Liam, what have you done recently that is whack and or 
on Trizac. Josh, can you go first? Because I got to find my stuff. Yeah, 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 I can. So funny you should ask me, Liam, because what I have done recently that is whack and or on Trizac, I watched a movie called Together Together. So here's the thing about it. They had opened up the Ritz. They had opened up the Ritz 5, and they're screening movies in a socially distant manner wherein you could sit down, and then there's like three empty seats and then another seat that's open. So it's like you're not sitting next to anybody you don't plan to, I suppose. And um, it was awesome. It was so awesome because what happened was Melani and um, me and my friend, our friend Lauren went to the movies. We did it like actual normal times. It was great. I mean, we stayed masked. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, Liam. I got a popcorn. I shared it with Melani, but I got a popcorn. And I had a little uh, Diet Coca-Cola. And I watched the movie in a seat in a theater. And it was great. I loved it. It was awesome. Now, the movie? Not so much. Oh, no. So yeah, for the record, Melani and Lauren loved it. I was not so much a fan. It is a movie called Together Together, wherein the character played by Ed Helms, very likable white man, um, he enlists the aid of a surrogate played by Patty Harrison, who is a writer on, I believe she was a writer on Saturday Night Live, or she's a comedy writer, but I forget what shows she wrote for. But um, she is a trans Filipino woman, and she plays the surrogate mother in this movie, and it's like kind of a weird, like, multi-tiered rom-com, right? Because it's not exactly like a movie where, like, you know, they get together at the end and blah, blah, blah. It's like a movie about uh, interpersonal intimacy that does not... I mean, it's weird. It's, like, about a surrogate having a baby. So it's the nine-month story of, like, the baby being born and all this stuff via surrogate for Ed Helms, who is, like, a nerdy white guy, which I know, big stretch. But, hey, that's what it is. And um, the movie is... It's fine, it's one of those, like, I get it. Like, while we were watching it, I understood. Like, okay, this is what we're going for, and this is what this movie's hitting for, and it's fine. It opens, though, with, like, the title cards from the movie are all in the Woody Allen font. And mm. that was, like, my first red flag. I was like, oh, okay. Right. Yes. And um, I was like, that's, that's kind of a weird nod, but maybe they just like the font. I don't know. My friend Ralph over at Awesome Dudes Printing enjoys Cooper Black. So guess what? I got a bunch of shirts in Cooper. That's just what that is. We like the font. But uh, so I was like, well, maybe they just like the font. But then as the movie unfolds, you know, it's like this weird, like two lonely people. And the one lady is in economic distress and she's trying to figure out how to make life work in L.A. So she signs up and essentially applies to be a surrogate mother for Ed Helms, who's taking applications to have a surrogate parent, you know. And um, then, like, you know, she ends up getting pregnant and the, the movie plays out where he ends up being like around and they hang out all the time and he's doting and he's like trying to make sure that like, you know, everything's good and they start getting closer and closer as the movie progresses. And then at the end of the story, you're kind of dealing with a story about, you know, a 26 year old woman who's having the child of a 45 plus year old man and the weird relationship between the two of them because of this like strangely aseptic yet intimate connection does that make sense mm -hmm. but uh the thing about it is like it's basically a woody allen movie and like the the thing like that really bums me out about it is this movie is hurtling down this path right of this weird connection being made between these two disparate people which there's a significant age difference and power difference in terms of economics and everything else and then they take a break in the middle of the movie to talk about woody allen 
And you know, uh, and, well, yeah, but and is, a, here's the thing: is it a love story though, or no? I watched the Q and A with the director and the actors afterwards, and they talk. The director spoke on how, like, you know, things that aren't necessarily romantic love, but still are interpersonal love between people. Um, those are still stories about love, and they still deserve their own songs and poems and movies. Which you know, I get that, and that's fine. But also, I mean, really, you're gonna go full Woody Allen on me? Like, did you not see the the documentary? Like that shit is fucked up, man. Like I don't want to, you know. And I get it. You know what I mean? I'm one of those film fans that loved Woody Allen. I would even say that maybe the reason I love film is because of Woody Allen in high school. Hmm. But because of that, I have, I'll say it, I have a straight up aversion to the trope of just this kind of dawdling, socially awkward pleasant white dude that's not a thing for me sure. i can't i can't see that without seeing woody allen in that role i mean for better or for worse our man created an archetype for himself you know what i mean like that he did right. that that's like yeah. you know synonymous yeah, yeah, yeah. with those movies like you watch anything you watch you know um even the more problematic ones you watch manhattan you watch you know husbands and wives you watch these movies and you're like oh yeah that weird stammering like nervous and neurotic white dude like that has somehow become like a lovable character in the lexicon of film because uh, well for people that were raised on those movies anyway like that thing to me is now off limits i'm not into it yeah and further it's been a thing that has actually plagued me my affinity for that is what has caused me to have these moments of like thinking it's really funny to make fun of myself on stage you know what I'm saying? And that's like, I mean, you know, some people find it charming, I guess. But at this point in my life, at 43 years old, like, dude, no, we're not doing that anymore. And this movie hit right when I've made that decision for myself, where like, you know, what, man, I'm not going to make fun of myself anymore. Because at this point, Liam, it just feels like the world is trying to tear me down. So I am not going to help that. I'm not going to be party to it. And I mean, me accepting- uh, let, me, I, let me make one slight defense, which is that. As much as this may have reminded you of Woody Allen, which is a bummer to me too, I do think if they're not fucking, it's already better than Woody Allen. Because there's no way for Woody Allen to tell this story without uh, without my man getting his dick wet. That's like, yeah. no, that is right. the you're essential right. Woody Allen story. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it is yeah. a step above in that sense. But I get your feeling. And this is it's harder for me than it is for you because I don't care that much about Woody Allen. And I, and, I, and I appreciate to some extent why people love him, but not enough to understand in the light of all the shit why people love him so much. It's like yeah. I kind of get it and I kind of don't at the same time. I mean, like, again, it's just like Morrissey. It's just like every problematic white dude that suddenly just rears their weird head now in their, like, later days to be like, no, man, that shit is dope. Fuck immigrants. Like, all that stuff. It's the same fucking thing. And, like, people can't separate their own identities from art that they've identified with for more than half their life, which is, you know, it's difficult. Trust. I have a shit ton of Morrissey tattoos. But, you know what, man? I can't stand. You gotta take, you gotta fucking do the thing. And Woody Allen is one of those things where, honestly, as a kid in high school, seeing a movie like Play It Again, Sam, falling in love with Diane Keaton when I was 17 years old, like these things were gifts from Woody Allen for me. 
even movies like Take the Money and Run and Bananas. Like, I love those movies. I love that comedy. I love that sense of humor. But in light of everything, and now that the blinders are off, now, as Adriana Gober said, now that we're paying attention, dude, you can't turn it off. Nor can right. you play homage to it in such a way that says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not part of the joke. I just, you know, was there for it, and it just meant something to me then. But that's still, like, not my thing. But it's like, dude, you directed a Woody Allen movie. Like, that's what you did. You know what I mean? Like, it's, all the yeah, earmarks are I, there. I feel, I feel, I haven't watched the movie yet, so I think you might be right. But I will say, I feel a little weird completely writing it off because I have some hope Maybe not this movie, but that someone could make a movie in the style of Woody Allen that was like the anti-Woody Allen movie. Like if you had a movie that was about, uh, uh, you know, let's say uh, two young lesbian women trying to figure out some some sort of mystery and the dialogue was Woody Allen-esque, that could function for someone as like a suitable replacement in the same sense that like Mm -hmm. if a bunch of queer uh, Latinx folks make a band that sounds like the Smiths, uh, but they, they don't support Morrissey. I'm not really going to hate them for that. I'm going to be like, Oh, I see you're making a placebo. You're making a a replacement Mm -hmm. here. It's like when someone comes up with a vegan sausage, you don't need vegan sauce. No one needs vegan sausage. Humans have lived Mm -hmm. for millions of years without vegan sausage you could be a vegan and not eat sausage but you want sausage so you made a vegan sausage (laughs) you want bacon it's like that vegan bacon fat people want that shit i'm sure it's fucking delicious i don't judge you for that (laughs) that's cool if someone wants to make their version of a woody allen movie but have it be not a fantasy for a clear pedophile yeah that's great i'm actually okay with that to a certain extent but i could see your point of the well is so poisoned that if you're copying too closely, I'm going to be bummed. I also see yeah. that. Like, uh, you know, so, I, you know, there has to be a way to admit, maybe not admit, but uh, pay homage to your influences without it feeling mm. reductive. And it sounds to me like you felt like this was reductive, that it was just it was just the same shit repackaged. And it, I mean, it. You're right, though. There, with the absence of actual fucking in the movie, like, okay, that's like kind of not the story, and I get that. You know what I mean? Plus, I really love Patty Harrison, who is like a half Filipino trans actor. You know what I mean? And she is gorgeous in this movie, and she is so. She's good. amazing. I love her. She is lovely, but I mean, like, even down to what I felt, it was one of those things when I was watching the movie. I was like. No, no, no. You're just being too critical. You need to calm the fuck down. This movie is good. Lauren and Milani are enjoying it. It's fine. But in the movie, the Patty Harrison character as a surrogate kind of has no agency. Like, the whole thing is predicated on, like, her just kind of being, like, the person doted upon by the Ed Helms character. And it just, it, it, it I was frustrated by it. I was frustrated by it because it supposed, it, it felt as though it was delving into some type of elevated, like, um, concept of interpersonal relationships and even like concepts of like um, what is labor, what is work, what is money, you know, like these kinds of questions. But at the end of the day, it still filled the traditional gender roles of the whole thing. And it fucked with me. It made me upset. I hear so, you. Whack. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I got. Whack. What is that? Um, again, I was the only person in, in, in our party who dis, did, who did not enjoy the movie. So take that with a grain of salt. I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's, I wish I went to a movie for the first time in 2021 and enjoyed it. 
but uh, I didn't. <laughs> so there's that. But you know, whatever's. So that's what I got. Oh, is that it? That's the whole thing. Yeah, man. I mean, we could talk about other movies that I saw that I didn't. No, that's enjoy, a, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, no, that's okay. That's the only one that I saw. Well, I watched Bloodthirsty last night. Did you see that movie? No. It's about this indie singer lady. She's like a lesbian, and her and her girlfriend go to spend time at the producer's. Um, I don't. It's like his house, but the studio's in there, and they got a. She wants to record her new record. It's her second record, so she's feeling the burn and pressure, and she's got these like psych meds. Played. Oh, I also saw the movie Nobody. We'll get to. That. But um. So Michael Ironsides is in this movie as the doctor. Yeah, that's a thing. And um, she, the, the movie ends up being like she has to like record with this dude who's like the producer who might have killed his wife. And like, you don't know. And then the next thing you know, like he's like playing all these crazy control games with her. And it's like she's trying to make her album. And he's like, well, if you want to do this, then you have to run really fast in that direction. And don't stop until I tell you like this kind of like weird, like this mysticism of like imagine what people's concept of a music producer for like an Aerosmith record would be like a dude with like a jacket with fur lapels and like rings on all of his fingers, like that kind of thing. And then you find out that like they're werewolves and there's just, it's a horror movie and it goes, it goes in directions that I just was not feeling. And, um, so that's why I was like, I don't feel like talking about that shit, but nobody was good. Did you see nobody yet? So that was my number one on track was nobody. Oh yeah, I loved it. But I'm gonna let you take it because oh, I loved it. I guys, it guys. Uh, so on track first and foremost for me, nobody. Whoa, Ugh, whoa, whoa, wonderful. Whoa, whoa. I mean, okay. <laughs> if you're someone for whom uh, action is not something you care about, then you can write this movie off. I don't know that there's enough plot here to carry you through any sort of drama. This is a movie that has a plot that clearly exists for the action. Even the main inciting moment of the movie is just a distraction for what the rest of the movie is going to be about. <laughs> um, and, and I and honestly, I love that. It works for me. Yeah. And it turns out our man, Bob Odenkirk, should be an action star. He's so good in this. He's and I love so good. You guys know how in the John Wick movies, John Wick is God, but occasionally he does get roughed up a teeny bit. You know, he always gets stabbed. out of it. He, yeah. he always gets out of it for the most part, but he, he takes some licks here and there. Bob Odenkirk takes a lot of licks, actually. He is not God. However, what he is is tenacious and persistent. And the reality is, if you stab him in the leg, he's still going to break your neck. And that's how it's going to go. And, and I love that style of action that's like, it's impressive. I mean, no we're wrong. We've watched our fair share of wuxia films where someone is flying through the air and they're immortal and never get punched. Those are fun too. I don't want to write those off. I, I love martial arts in all its forms. But this kind of rough uh, gunplay martial arts where a guy with a bat who's in his own home can take out a bunch of dudes with machine guns, even if he's going <laughs> to also get hurt in the process. I fucking love that. I love it. I love it. And Bob Odenkirk <laughs> sells it. He sells the idea of like, this used to be my life and I'm not in the practice of doing it anymore, 
but I still know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I, I thought, I thought it, it's funny. It's really well done. Uh, it uses the RZA well. I, I think sometimes people think the RZA is going to carry their movie, and he's not going to carry your movie. But if you use no, him well, he's, he's a fun accoutrement. Uh, uh, Christopher Lloyd, who's uh, – correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm getting this from a uh, podcaster I love. Jesse Thorne, who said, uh, Christopher Lloyd has been playing the same 60-year-old man for 40 years, basically. And, <laughs> and, and I think that that's true. I think he's just been playing yeah. the same. And now, now, yeah. now he's approaching 90. He's still playing the same 60-year-old man that you're like, isn't he too old to be doing this? Still doing it. Still doing it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. What's funny is that there's actual jujitsu stuff in this movie. So like there are moments, listeners, I don't know if you're aware, I have just stepped into to the arena of learning how to do jujitsu and it's been awful i've been getting my ass destroyed like killed every week multiple times a week just getting fucked up right and the thing is my brother is the instructor so he's kind of enjoying himself just watching me get my ass handed to me getting choked out by people like that weigh 100 pounds less than me and there are a bunch of scenes in this movie where bob odenkirk has people in holds and like people get like fucked up and stuff, and I had to be like, "Oh, hey, Milani, that's the thing that the one Asian guy who's a priest pulled on me last week, and I stopped breathing for like five <laughs> seconds. That's the move right there. It's such a fun fucking movie. Oh my god, I it's a it. good time. It's it is without any sort of overarching <laughs> message. It's really just a fun, violent time. I enjoyed it <laughs> top to bottom." It's great. It's great. I yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I can't recommend it enough, honestly. Um, and unless you don't like action, if you don't like action yeah. movies, there's nothing here for you. I like, guess if, if you're looking for character arcs and all that stuff, I mean, it's there. But I mean, I, I I guess some people might be sensitive to you know. Uh, I I don't want to spoil anything, but let's just say the reason Bob Odenkirk is good at this is not a good reason. He's not a good guy. I think that, you know no. it's not that he's a retired superhero. Okay, Um, he's certainly a retired person, but but I don't think you're meant to think he's like a great dude. Um, And I think maybe the fun tone of the movie might belie that a little bit for people. But Mm. to me, it's not a movie that's meant to have like any sort of moral angle on it. It's literally saying like, here's a gentleman who's been trying to be a normal dad and he's not and now he's gonna cut loose and that's how it's gonna go (laughs) and uh it's good i thought it was really fun i had a good time with it i watched it with susan she had a good time with it so i gotta hold it up uh in fact i this is a great transition right because this will transition me from my on track into my whack all right Mm, so the reason i think nobody works despite having a very light plot um and very light characterization is because the action in it is over the top and very well done. Uh, some some of it being some of the best stuff I've seen recently. Of course, there are a few like tight shot, shaky cam kind of moments, but overall, it's a very uh, visually interesting action film, which is all I wanted from Mortal Kombat. That's all I wanted from yeah, Mortal Kombat. No, I watched Mortal Kombat too, and it was terrible. Also, whack. I didn't here's, even mention. Here's here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm seeing some people who loved it. I get that if you went to this expecting your average video game movie, it's it's superior to that in certain ways. But A, I don't think it bears the fact that a lot of people are lifting it up because of its character design. Well, guess what? When you're making a video game movie, the one thing you have that you don't have to be creative about is motherfucking character design. That's what went into the video game. They designed characters. That's all the work that they did was design characters. So being like, well, it has interesting character design. Yeah, 
they took it from the video game. Fuck you. And then um, <laughs> I would say that they actually put more work into the world building and plot than they needed to. They should have taken some of that energy and put it into the fucking fight scenes. The fight scenes <laughs> in this movie. Now, you might have been fooled by the they released the first fight scene uh, before the movie came out. And that is actually very good. In fact, if the rest of the movie had the tenor of the opening sequence of the movie... I'd say the movie was pro- would probably be pretty good, but that's the only really coherent fight for the rest of the film. Mm, the agreed. rest of it is a yeah. mess. It's gimmicky and corny. It has a lot of stupid fan service that it it it'd be okay if the whole movie was trying to be funny, but it's trying to be mm. somewhat serious. And then it has these fan service moments that are not fun at all. Um, and you know. All it really needed, I would even put up with the corny fan service if any of the action and martial arts were interesting. And they are yeah, almost. Yeah, they are almost entirely not. I guess you could say one or two moments here and there, cool. I like some of the kills are okay. But mm. for the most part, it's bullshit. It's really bullshit. Much like the character design, though, the kills are also exactly from the video exactly. game. Exactly. Like, the, I never played the game, so I don't really know. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't feel like there's a single interesting new idea. I guess you could say that I think, granted, I'm not a huge fan of the later Mortal Kombat's. I only played the first game. I, I think mm-hmm. the main character is a is a totally original creation for the movie. I could be wrong about that, but I think he is. And that that's cool. His design is kind of cool. I like that it has a bit of a Muay Thai feel. Like, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, there's nothing. There's no good new ideas in the movie. There's nothing there to suck you in, at, at least for me. Mm. Now, I'm not saying like if you love this movie, you're an idiot. But I just think if you are someone who loves martial arts, like really loves well done martial arts, this probably yeah, this was not, not your jam. You. No, it was. It was not. This that. movie is is only in service to people who do have like a uh, anachronistic memory of the game. I think. I think if I was into the game, if we were more into the actual gaming of Mortal Kombat, we would have totally yeah. been like, "Oh shit, this is the shit." But oh, I mean, I love. I the f- wasn't. I love so. the first game. Oh, I was a big. I played the first Mortal Kombat for hours on end. I Did probably. You? It's. Uh, I mean, I my. I don't think we have time to talk about video games. Suffice it to say, <laughs> I don't play a lot of games, but when I do play a game, I play it a lot. And Mortal Kombat was one of the ones I played a lot. Um, wow. And yet. And yet, I don't have any. Uh, let's say this: I don't have the excitement for this movie that I had for the original Mortal Kombat, which I saw at midnight on the night before it was supposed to come out, <laughs> uh, where we sat behind the Filipino mafia of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and they high fived each other every time the theme song came on. <laughs> One of my favorite film memories is those very, very scary Filipino gentlemen standing up and hugging and high fiving every time you heard Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cool so fucking cool that is pretty good man. i don't think that i've ever been good. disrupted during a movie and enjoyed it more than that <laughs> i think that was my favorite ever <laughs> anyways good. anyways uh yeah mortal Kombat. skip it we, we don't tell people yeah. what to do here but i actually think if you haven't seen it it's not worth it's not even worth streaming it for free which is what i did it's i don't think it was two worth hours or whatever no. it's like long as fuck too it's just ah man i don't know it's fine Whatever. If you like it, I'm not mad at you. But if you don't like it, I hear you, dog. It, it, I was, I guess, I, I guess I shouldn't have been excited for it, but I was a little bit excited for it just because other people were excited for it. So I was building off of their excitement. And I don't know if those mm. people were satisfied or not, but I was not. Yeah, fair, fair. The other thing I want to say is uh, 
I've been really enjoying the Invincible TV show. Oh yeah, I highly, no, I highly recommend that. that. I, I think it's been going really well. Uh, and I finished uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I guess so is now I. Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Um, yeah, I uh, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. I I get why some people have some serious critiques at the end. I feel like uh, mm-hmm. I agree. I I think some of the people I follow who are critical of these shows are way more critical than me. So that makes me like the shows more. Cause I'm like, Whoa, you guys are really harsh. But the one thing that was said that I think is like really fair. I think the resolution for Isaiah is not fucking earned. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. who were imprisoned for 30 years and used as a government Guinea pig would not be like, Oh, I get a statue. Cool. Everything is forgiven. <laughs> like that's not yeah. real. I don't think that's real. Uh-huh. And I don't think it's fair to bring it up in that way. I also think the Flag Smashers turn towards murder was a little faster than I think was justified. Like, or at least, yeah, but it's a six episodes story arc, so it's like, come on. But man, they like- could have killed. They could have killed some officials. Like, I think uh, again, this is this is because I don't think uh, people who write for Disney <laughs> know what actual <laughs> anarchists are like. Anarchists might, you know, historically have turned to murder, but are they going to murder low-level nurses in a facility or even secretaries? No, they murder officials, and murdering officials is justified, unless you don't believe in murder, which I don't, so that's why I don't murder officials, because I'm a pacifist. But anyone out there who believes that violence is justified and has never considered murdering an official is a fucking coward, and I'll say it to your face. That's the reality. And so if the Flag Smashers had killed one of the GR see people first that in the world of disney would have felt very dramatic but to me that would have been consistent they wouldn't have killed low when you're killing innocent people that's when you're immediately a villain you're that moment on episode three they were villains no matter what even if sam Mm. wins them over it doesn't matter they're villains if they had killed an official then it's more like you know what they're don't maybe they're not so bad, you know. They haven't hurt any innocent people yet. Maybe they could be turned to the good. And 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 so that's my issue here is not that they're villains. My issue is we're supposed to believe that there's still hope for them or that we should still hope for them when they've already killed innocent people. And I shouldn't I, I'm not saying they could never have done that. It just felt like too soon, even on a six mm. uh episode arc, especially since we have that sixth episode. Have them kill some innocent people. On the sixth, when that shows that they've finally gone too far, and there's no mm. redemption for them. I just think that would narratively make more sense. But I think consistently uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, fascists like fucking Baron Zemo get redemption, and uh, anarchists and anti-fascists don't get redemption. You know, so yeah, that fair. sucks. That sucks. It's and it's not. And, and of course, we don't want to defend them too much because they're immoral. So a great example is Killmonger, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, he's very mean to the women in his life. He's clearly a misogynist. So it's easy to be like, well, then fuck him. He's not really an antihero. He's a bad dude. Mm-hmm. But of course, they didn't have to write that stuff in there. That's the same thing with the Flag Smashers. They could have written them, written them as actual anarchists who are morally consistent that Sam is still obligated to fight and then that would have been more to me complicated it would have made it a more nuanced story if the flag smashers were more defensible but Sam still is obligated to stop them because I I don't think he then has to join forces with them per se he still thinks Mm. that what they're doing is wrong it's just they're not bad people but by episode three 
that was a bad You're thing. You're like, oh, they're bad people. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they didn't have to write it that way. Again, I don't think that's a huge criticism. I, I'm not on board with the haters of the show. Like, I think it overall was a fun show. I just think consistently MCU is nicer to its authoritarian fascisty characters than it is to its rebellious anti-fascism characters. And that bums me out. I just think that's a poor decision that they're making. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. All that to be said, that's it for my whack it on track. Don't see Mortal Kombat. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's take a break and then we'll come back to talk about two awesome movies that you should see that you should go out of your way to see as soon as possible. Yay! Very good. After the break. today are two movies that are very close to my heart and movies that are asian <laughs> i was like yo man i want to do some asian johns and these are the two that i feel uh when they came out i saw them around the time that they were released and um 
I feel like they didn't get enough love. You know what I mean? I feel like they came and they went and people don't talk about them enough. So the two movies we're talking about are A Bittersweet Life and Survive Style 5 Plus, which I didn't even, I never used to say the plus. I used to just say Survive Style 5 <laughs> when I talked about this. Movie. I think it's fine just to say Survive Style 5. I love these movies. You've seen. You've can seen you do a me a favor? Can you do me a favor and drink more on the microphone? Just like with your yeah, mouth yeah, yeah. open, just drink and. No, that's fine. Hold on. I think that would be sexy. Uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Water. It, Yo, it remember, does remember, remember when we did that episode and we ate gross nachos the whole episode? <laughs> so good. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so funny. Go ahead. You yeah, were talking about bad, a bittersweet life. Oh uh, no! Um, what, you've seen both of these movies beforehand, or you only saw Bittersweet no, Life? No, only Bittersweet Life. And I, I will say, I saw Bittersweet Life. Um, part of the reason I have trouble placing it time wise is that it was released in two thousand five. I don't think it played the Philly Film Fest until two thousand six, because I don't think mm-hmm. I went to the Philly Film Fest in two thousand five. I think two thousand six I went. That was my first year at Princeton Seminary, and I drove down from the seminary a lot to go to the movies in Philly, which was maybe not a good use of my time considering I was in grad school and I was supposed to be doing homework, but I was like, <laughs> fuck it. I want to see some movies. So that's what I did. And, yeah. um, I you was sort of the Angelica or like New York city. No, no, no. It played at the Philly film fest. In fact, so this is the deal, right? I rediscovered this movie recently before. So we're covering these two movies. As we said, these are the two movies Josh picked for his, um, screening on Saturday, May 1st, uh, which hasn't happened yet, but it might have already happened when you're listening to this. And that that was sort of on our mind recently because um, I had a memory, and this is where Josh is going to be surprised at this. I had a memory of seeing a movie at the Philly Film Fest that had a body cam shot involving a lit log where oh, I so didn't good. like the movie. I had this memory that this movie sucked. 100%. Yes. I left this movie, A, before it ended even. uh, I left it, well, I left it to go to a hardcore show. So I guess I shouldn't be that surprised that I left it. But I left it Uh because I was like, you know what? I don't really care how this ends. I'm not into this. Um, I, I, I remember thinking, actually, the reason the movie stuck with me is I thought, this fight scene with this log is the coolest thing I've seen in a movie in a long time. I wish the rest of this movie didn't suck. And that was my memory of the movie. If you'd asked me anything wow. else about the movie, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. I didn't even remember the name. So one of the things I do that is probably evidence that I have ADHD is I save <laughs> things, certain kinds of things. And one of the things I save is programs from the Philadelphia Film Fest. Uh, because as we've talked about on this show before, we used to go to this thing somewhat religiously. Religiously, you know? yeah. I, no, I mean, for sure. I, yeah. I basically joined the film society when I moved to Philadelphia so I could get a, a VIP pass to the film fest. So uh, anyways, I went in 2006. I guess I did go in 2005 because I had already had it in my head that going to Korean films was a sure shot. That whatever it was, if it was Korean, it was going to be great. So I went to this movie thinking it was going to be perfect, and it and it wasn't. It didn't work for me very well. I didn't hate it, but I didn't think it was that great. Was it the bummer of? I think it wasn't this year. I think it was the next year. Was when I saw the Korean uh, romantic comedy that was just all domestic violence. Um, <laughs> that was actually what the movie only. Was that? 
exactly. I don't know. But oh, again, I went because I was like, I was like, oh, it's a Korean film. It'll be great. And it was not. It was not great. Um, anyways, uh, it was. So this wasn't as disappointing as that because the next year I went to a lot of Korean films again just because they were Korean. And I thought, oh, Korean films are doing great for me. Uh, and I say a lot, two or three. But again, I was driving down from Princeton. So two or three films was a lot of films, you know. So anyways, I became obsessed with what was that movie I saw? What was that movie I saw? And I found my 2015 uh, uh, <laughs> program. I found my 2014, 2013, 2012, 2011, 2010, even 2009, and I still couldn't figure out the movie. And then I found way, way back with a bunch of stuff my 2006 program, which honestly, <laughs> I, I didn't even know I went in 2006 for sure until I found this program. And I was flipping through it, and I saw A Bittersweet Life listed uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Danger After Dark section. And I thought, I wonder if that's the movie. So I said to our good friend Doug, can you get me a copy of this movie? Because I want to see if this is the movie I was thinking of. This was maybe like six months ago or something. And I watched it, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's it. That's the movie. But it was even better. You know why, Josh? Because you didn't hate it. Because you realized the error of your ways. I fucking loved it. I loved yeah, it. Thank I, God. I think, I think probably what happened was I wanted it to be something more akin to, like, I don't know, The Killer or something. Like mm, something more yeah. of an action movie. And this is more of a moody noir film. It is a, It is as moody and atmospheric as a gangster film can get while still having fucking badass action in it you know what i mean yeah well, like, still being a badass gangster movie but it's not just action i think if you went into this just looking for action um i also think it is even now i watched it again for this recording so now i've watched it three times i mm. it feels a little overlong to me i think okay, i'll give you that i think yeah. it's a little overlong i think some of the middle that's establishing mood could be cut a teeny bit. Not a lot, but a teeny mm. bit. And I think mm. the end, the metaphor of him shadow boxing himself is a bit overwrought, I think. Especially when I read okay. an interview with him and he named that metaphor as being the most important part of the movie where we see that <laughs> he was fighting himself the whole time. I don't need him shadow boxing himself for a full two minutes before the credits to get that he was his own enemy the whole time i got yeah. that already buddy i don't need that scene and so two hours figuring that out yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so i do think but i but i also think you know this was a major accomplishment that you know he had done movies before this but i feel like this movie was such a step up for him budget wise and uh and style wise he had never done a movie that was this sort of style this controlled mm-hmm. this very i mean this feels very um somewhere between like a michael mann a tarantino De Palma. I get De Palma. I read big De Palma yeah. Into yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think all that shit is up in here, you know? And some reference mm. to like, there's some humorous references here too to like, you know, uh, it's it might have been lost on folks. This movie is not called A Bittersweet Life in Korean. In Korean, mm. this movie is called The Sweet Life, which is, by the way, the name of the bar in the final scene. Yeah, it's so good. It's La Vida, the Dolce Vida. Yeah. It's so good. That final scene where that bar, where he shoots um, President Bake, that shit is so good. 
Oh, so, my God. Josh, we, we, for those people, we're probably talking to some people who want to hear us talk about this movie but haven't seen it. Can you give a, just a really quick about what this movie is about? And let's be clear, y'all. Like, we're going to spoil. I probably have already spoiled it for you. So if you're not yeah. stoked on spoilers, I guess skip to later. Or at least sh- uh, watch the screening or watch yeah, it yeah, and yeah, then yeah, come yeah, back, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, fine. Yeah. We'll yeah. give you time. Good. We'll wait. Right. We'll wait. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So the movie's about um, this dude who's an enforcer for, like, a mafia. And um, for for like a, a just a, a a gang of bad guys that operate out of a place called the Hotel Crown, and um, the boss, the present guy, this is like the present dude's right hand man, and present dude says, you know what, I'm going out of town for a couple of days. I need you to watch my young girlfriend because I don't know if she's cheating on me, and uh, and if she is, I need you to take care of her and the dude. And, you know, she's significantly younger than the president. And the dude's kind of like, I don't know, he's he's not an old man, but he's like a younger dude. And, um, you know, he's he's like the foot soldier enforcer dude. And so he goes and he spies on the girlfriend and he, he doesn't spy on her. He's actually like driving her around and stuff and doing stuff with her. And there's like somewhat semblance of a, like a, a interpersonal connection between him and the girl. And then he ends up catching her with the dude that she is. I mean, it's not really established that they're cheating or whatever, but he catches her with the dude, with another dude. I mean, he's, he snuck back. The, the, it, her boyfriend has snuck back specifically to evade him because they know full well why he's there. That and he's when like he, the bad guy. Okay, and okay. when he gets there, they're, they're in their night clothes. So, like, you know, maybe there hasn't been coitus yet, but you don't usually get into your pajamas with someone who's snuck to your house unless you're planning to bump uglies. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Coitus. Yeah, full coitus. So, anyway, so he goes back and he catches them, and uh, he's supposed to call his boss before I guess he does anything and uh, he beats up the dude, but then he has this one moment when he's staring at the young lady's shoulder and he has this moment of compassion and he's like, well, we're just going to not talk about this. We're going to pretend this never happened and I'm not going to do anything. And you guys just can't see each other anymore. And then you find out that like the president knows somehow that he didn't do what he thought he was supposed to do. And then it turns into a vengeance movie where the organization turns on the man and they like, you know, they break his hand, they bury him and all this stuff and it's fucked up. But then he comes back and then he gets guns. <laughs> he kills everybody and then gets killed. So that's the movie. It's a it's a gangster flick. It's very subtle. It's got a lot of noir elements and um, it's really fucking cool. I think it's a cool movie. Even like there's like certain things in it that I was like, oh man, the hallway fight scene, you know what I mean? Because there's a hallway fight scene that's relatively extended in this movie, which is actually the scene that Liam's talking about with the uh, with the body cam on the flaming log business when they're, he's beating all these people up. But man, what a flick! It's one of those movies that I was in for the whole ride, all the way in. I mean, it's it's worth keeping in mind too, like. One of the things that I think is consistent through at least his early filmography that we're familiar with, let's be clear, I'm not going to say The Last Stand is a psychological, uh, upsetting film, but if you go from I Saw the Devil back, a lot of his movies are upsetting. There's something deeply disturbed about them, or they're dealing with themes that are upsetting. And in this film, um, I think one of the things we're seeing is 
this guy is very good at his job. Like he is mm. better at being who he is than everyone around him. And yet he also is living in a fucking fantasy world. Like he, uh, you know, again, when I say that the, the image of him shadowboxing himself is a bit overwrought as a metaphor, because it's clear from the beginning that like he thinks his life is one thing and it is not that thing. And one of the first things scenes we see that is when, you know, him and the boss are having dinner and this guy comes in and he's a real, it's his coworker. He's a real jerk off. And the boss like cracks yeah. the whip on this guy, like get out of here, whatever. And it's a scene where it's you could say, you, you could yeah. say, okay, this is a, this is a criminal community, but it's a community of honor and respect and formality. An organization. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got your boss being like, while I'm away, spy on my young fuck girl. You know, because I don't trust her, and if you and if she's being, you know, uh, disloyal to me, go ahead and murder her. That's the first indication that our man is living a lie. Because yeah. if this was all about honor, you wouldn't ask your subordinate to do something so fucking skeezy for you, you know? And mm. then when he tells himself, well, because I feel a human connection here that I haven't felt before, I'm going to, you know, do the right thing it's easy for us to identify with him because he's being human. But what the movie wants us to realize is he's lying to himself. He is lying to himself. He knows that his boss is not the kind of man that's going to let this stand because the entire system that they are part of is based on the idea of punishment. Without violence and reprisal, there is no criminal system. Anyone who thinks I can do something and not get punished for it will do that fucking thing. If they don't fear punishment, there's nothing but anarchy because they literally do crime for a living. That's what they do. The only way to yeah. keep scary men, scary men of violence in line is for them to fear your violence. So when he's surprised that they want to punish him, it's like – Bro, you're full of shit. Like, of course, they're, this is your entire life is a system of loyalty to people who don't deserve your loyalty. That's what your life is. And you're better at this than they are. So inevitably, they were going to hurt you. Inevitably, they were going to punish you because they're all jealous of you. Like, everyone he interacts with is inferior to him for the most part in some way. Yeah. You know, at least in that criminal world, you know, and, and, uh, and this whole idea that he is such a scary, tough man. One nice, somewhat pretty woman, you know, like a pretty girl, you know, she's not mm. like, you know, the goddess descended from heaven, but she's like nice to him and is pretty, who is good at an instrument, destroys his <laughs> whole world. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah, you think yeah, about yeah, it, yeah, like yeah. all he needed was one crush. She doesn't express really any affection for him. She no, doesn't do yeah. anything for him to lead. It's not like she's leading him on or anything like that. Just that little bit of beauty in his life and his whole life falls apart. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's it's great. It's so good. But, it's so good. Yeah, Ugh. it's such a it's such a heinous descent, but man, yeah. what a story. Yeah. Well, it's and it's so good. It's it's definitely I will say that it, you know, I don't think this makes the movie bad. It is worth acknowledging this is a very patriarchy movie like the idea yeah. that this young lady can determine her own fate is not even on the table the film very much is like um again i don't think it judges her for wanting a life outside of this creepy old man but mm. it certainly is fatalistic about this world you know um but i think in showing that it is also i think critical of the kind of toxic masculinity that runs this criminal ex enterprise you know what i'm saying um yeah 
I also think there's a bit of a class thing going on here, whereas because this guy goes around beating up other gangsters, he thinks he's invincible. And it it's important to note that scary fisherman guy, you know, in his uh, fisherman hat, yeah. there that there's a class difference going on here that I think it's worth yeah. acknowledging. If you hire yeah, the he's right like a poor dude, yeah. yeah. If you hire the right scary poor person who's not afraid of you, they can fuck you up. All they need to do is get you when you're not paying attention. And you're going to get fucked up. No one is immortal. That's not to say he's not very good at his job. He is. Mm. But no one is immortal. Anyone can get got on the right day. And I think that's yeah. part of like the the what makes the film function is the revelation of like, you think because you have a nice suit and you work in a nice hotel that you're above scary cargo pants guy. But guess what? Yeah. Yeah, scary cargo pants guy will fuck your world up. Oh yeah, the best totally. thing about scary cargo cargo pants guy is that he dresses like my uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> he dresses like Ben Ventura, and as soon as I was like, "Oh snap, Uncle Ben's about to catch some wrecks, son. This shit is brutal." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good, yeah. so so good. So uh, I mean, I do think it's very much like a an attempt to do a noir film, but with an original spin, and I think it really works in that sense. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I do wonder about its pedigree, you know, uh, uh, producer. We So, guys, we have a behind-the-scenes producer now, our friend uh, Sofia Gonzalez. And uh, she pointed out the similarities between this movie and maybe some, uh, some of those, like, uh, Japanese films, like uh, Tokyo Drifter or mm-hmm. Pale Flower. Stray Cat Rock. Yeah, those Japanese new wave kind of films, which is hard to make that connection because those films are – classically anti-Korean. Like they that's just mm. part of that tradition. So it might be hard to see that connection. But I think stylistically there is DNA there. Even though the yeah, director there's definitely a, yeah. There's definitely uh parts of it it I wouldn't say it's a liberal um borrowing, but I would no, say that no. the DNA is there for sure. Um, uh, but it's worth noting that at the time the director was really citing Tarantino and the Cohen brothers. Now of mm. course you know, when this film is made coming out of the the nineties into the two thousands, everyone's talking about the Tarantino and the Cohen brothers. You know what I mean? Like Tarantino yeah, yeah, yeah. Tar- between Tarantino, the Cohen brothers, and Jarmouche, mm-hmm. independent film became mainstream film. You know? There's yeah, a reason that, that was like where the flip happened. Yeah, there's a reason that nineteen ninety nine changed film forever as far as like mm. how we view movies so like of course he's citing them but i do think some of that dna is there especially in the idea that like there are a series of characters going through a series of misadventures for this plot mm. to move along and i think the ending to me mm. in it in the way it keeps building on itself and it almost has a humor to it felt very coen yeah. brothers to me yeah i would agree with that also what was up with the russian dude in this movie what do you think about that Dude, Korea, there's definitely interaction, especially because of its proximity to Mongolia, which has a large Russian population. And yeah, I, I'm sure that it, it's if just you... funny that the there's one character in the movie who sells um, our man guns, and he's the only Russian dude in the entire movie. <laughs> but they really, do talk really about funny. Russians, though, because they talk about how yeah, they, talk they about get the, girls in the, club the, the, the sex workers they get who probably are not doing that of their free will that they get them from mm. Russia and a rival gang wants them to start getting them from Philip from the Philippines. And so yeah. it's like, that's like one of the conflicts between them and the other families in this organized crime thing. But the, the relationship between Korea and Russia is sort of there. There's definitely some population there um, mm. uh, as well as Mongolian folks and stuff like that. So anyways, that being said, 
Uh, it is funny. It's a funny piece. It's used for humor in the film, I think, very effectively. Um, also, the fact that this dude doesn't know shit about guns is the other thing I like. Yeah. The in whole fact, movie, there's no guns in the movie. It's like, wait a minute. What kind of gangbangers don't do guns? Like, it seems like it knives? seems like no. It seems like their reliance is on violence. Guns are like a final thing, which is why when later on in the movie, there's introduced this guy who is an actual gun person. All these guys have all these guns. They're shooting them everywhere. They all suck. No one can hit anything. <laughs> one dude shows up with a revolver in fucking Rex house because he actually knows how to use a gun. And it's like, it's very effective, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. But you know, I, I do think one of the themes going on here that I wondered if you connected with was this feeling of like the wasted potential of this guy. Right. That like Mm -hmm. maybe in different life circumstances, he would have a wholesome, like, like, like holistic, normal life being good at something else. But like he's so good at what he's meant to do early on in the film. And yet when we Mm -hmm. see his personal life, it is completely empty. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing there worth caring about at all. Mm. It's him eating peanuts and drinking Guinness. On a couch that's his bed, which is like ah. Well, that's, yeah, that's a weird my man, my crime. man doesn't, my man doesn't have a bed, so you know he doesn't fuck. Like that's just not on the table. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's got nice suits, but it's also just like, man, he is. It's just it's funny. It's an interesting juxtaposition. I didn't take that he had like the potential in some other aspect of life to make something of himself. I just took it as like, man, this dude lives a Spartan life. The only place where he thrives is at work. That's what I got. That's that's I, how I well. Read. I think what I got to is the irony of his life is so Spartan, so he can be so good at what he does for a organization that very quickly is ready to destroy him for almost no reason. Mm. You know, like right. uh, and but I think the suggestion of the film is that. He should have known that from the beginning. That like yeah. it's not this. It's not tragic in the sense that he's been done wrong, that the world is unjust. It's tragic in that he was always a part he of that and he know. didn't see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's a bummer. But man, I thought he was really good. What do you think about the actor in the role? I think he's great. I think he's awesome. I mean, he's been in other stuff, right? So yeah, like, he's we the should main dude in the good, the bad, and the weird too. We so, should we should you know. not we should not make the uh, very American mistake of not naming him, uh, Lee Byung Hoon. I don't. Yeah. I, obviously, I'm bad at pronunci- pronunciation, so I apologize in advance. But uh, he's in this movie. He's also in I Saw the Devil. He's also in Joint Security Area. He's also in uh, uh, The Man Standing Next, uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Weird, Ashfall, like a lot of Korean films. Probably some other stuff that like is popular in Korea that we don't know about. Uh, he was also he was in, also in the remake of the Magnificent Seven. I was about the, to say uh, that too. Sixteen, yep, yep, yep. Antoine Fuqua movie. Yeah, respect, respect. Yeah, you know respect. Oh, also in Terminator Genesis. <laughs> oh, also in the Red sequel, Red Two, and GI oh. Joe Retaliation. Yeah, never heard of it. But um, yeah, no, Stop. I think he's awesome in this movie. He's so yeah. good in this movie in that in the final sequence when he's like looking at the tree and like he's bleeding out and he's about to shoot his ass. Like he conveys so much like weird peace in that moment 
just by not even saying anything, just sitting there and looking at leaves, that I was like, yeah, that shit is dope. Dude, yeah. doing it, doing the thing. I also Love want. It. I also want to um, uh, acknowledge his uh, female co-star Shin Min Ah. I think she's really, oh, yeah, she's really, really great too. Uh, and I also like the guy who is basically effectively not the villain, but you know, turns his back on him. And I'm trying to find him that actor's name. You know, what I'm talking about the guy with the long hair. Oh, um, the dude, the bad guy. Uh, not the boss, but the other guy. No, the other guy. Yeah, yeah. The dude who in the beginning is like being all just comes in and starts eating all the food and all that stuff. That guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, Roha Kim, who uh, has been. Mm. He was in uh, Memories of Murder, which is. I mean, he's been oh, in other yeah. stuff too, but you probably know him from Memories of Murder. Um, I think he's really great too. That central, uh, that central hub, that Trinity of our main dude. The uh, woman playing the girlfriend, and then the uh, untrustworthy friend. Those three folks, you know, Lee Bing Hoon, uh, Shin Mina, and um, uh, Roha Kim, they're awesome. They kind of carry the movie. I, I think Mr. Kang is okay too. Like the, the rest of them are all mm-hmm. fine, but those three people really. Yeah. Also, Uncle Raventor, who's in the movie, is the fish man. He's, yes. He's really <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Ben Ventura, I'm sorry. <laughs> I fucking so love that role, that fucking dude. <laughs> he was great, yeah. It's funny, though. There's a scene when he sees him in the parking lot, right? And he walks up on the on him while um, our man's holding the baseball bat. And it just looks like there are no lenses in his eyeglasses. And I don't know why that bothers me, but it does. Yeah, that's so. weird. I don't know why that bothers you. <laughs> one so of what the, was the other movie that we watched liam <laughs> oh well i wasn't quite done with this i do want to say it's worth checking out it's it is it is a little long but i think it's worth it uh if this comes out before the screening please come to the screening uh and that would be cool it's on a thing you can hit us up to find out where okay cool uh the other movie we watched is a japanese film called survive style five which is a bit of like a avant-garde movie. How would you describe this movie oh, to someone yeah. who had never heard of it? Uh, by the way, directed uh, by would... Gen Segiguchi, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and written by I Takutada. Would... I would say, hey, have you ever heard the record Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins? Imagine if the guitar player in that band made a movie <laughs> in the 90s. That's what this movie feels like to me. Is that and right? I know that that's reductive. It's one of those things, though, right? Like, it's just... It feels so expressive. This movie is unlike A Bittersweet Life, which has very specific and noir-focused storytelling style. The visual style of this movie is just as important as a narrative that's kind of there, but kind of not, as is the case with a lot of these more avant-garde movies. And um, this movie reminded me of that very expressive time in alternative rock. You know what I mean? Like, when... Like everything was floral. <laughs> so good. Oh man. It's yeah. definitely a five stories that seem inc- seem disconnected become intertwined. It's definitely that yeah. kind of narrative, but it does it in a very weird way. It's not quite funky forest weird. Uh which no, we're talking about exactly weird Japanese like, movies. It's not it's not pulp fiction weird. 
because oh, that's you know, a whole other different kind of weird. I meant, I meant. Have you seen Funky Forest? I'm thinking like weird Japanese movies. Like it's not quite, um, it's not quite happiness of the categories. No, but it yeah. is abstract like that. Like things happen that aren't exactly real. Um, yeah, it has a certain angle to it, and it does have like almost cartoony running jokes, some of which mm. work out in very pleasing ways. But I, I, I think if someone's going in expecting like a real like like compared to this movie a bittersweet life is like harsh realism <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know because no, this movie is case. like silly this movie is silly and it's fun but there's pathos there right like there's oh 100 it's it's a movie that does an effective job of using these episodes to tell an overarching story about people and that's what i love about this movie so, Liam, why don't you talk about what this... This is your first time watch for this, right? So why don't you tell me what you thought about this movie? And let's let, let's first start with a brief synopsis of the story. Oh, man. I don't even know where to start with that. Yeah, I know. That's the best thing about the, it. It's I mean, like, I have no fucking clue. We've got, one, we've got one story in which a man who looks like a hippie has murdered his girlfriend, wife, yeah. a woman, and buried her. And when he comes back, she's alive. And she makes food for him, of which he eats all of it, and then she attacks him. And then this whole pattern of she attacks him, he eventually kills her, buries her, and she comes back to attack him in various forms, continues throughout the film, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then we uh, have the story of um, three bank robbers. Mm -hmm. Um, or Are they bank robbers or just overall thieves? I think they're just like bad guys. Bad guys, one of which is like the driver guy, and we get the vibe from him that he is attracted to one of the other members of his gang, and that is a running uh, joke through the film until it is no longer a joke. Yeah. Then we've also got a family where uh, the dad of the family has gotten tickets to a very special show they all want to go to. Uh, and then when we get to the show, we find out that it's like a, a hypnotism a event. Hypnotist. Yeah. And the dad gets hypnotized into thinking he's a bird. And then the hypnotist is murdered before he, he gets to undo the hypnotism, which is connected to another woman who is a advertising ex- executive. And she is sleeping mm. with the hypnotism guy. And she hates him and she wants him dead. And so, so she, she hires... A hitman, and the hitman is a Japanese guy who wants to farm it out to a foreign hitman, and so he hires Vinnie Jones, and <laughs> Vinnie Jones comes, and Vinnie Jones always asks people what their purpose is before he does some sort of violence to them. What is your purpose <laughs> in this life, he asks. And that seems to weirdly be a, a weird meta commentary on the whole movie. Yeah. The whole movie is basically encapsulated by that one question that he perpetually asks throughout the movie. <laughs> so this is uh, Gen Seguguchi's only feature film. He's done a few shorts. He mostly does commercials. Um, it won a bunch and of awards for boy bands. So saith uh, <laughs> our producer Sophia. Yeah, Kels. yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very strange. Uh, The the role of the hitman was rewritten rewritten for Vinnie Jones, which I think is hilarious. Um, So good. uh, Yeah. Anyways, uh, I I when this starts and it's unclear, right? um, It's unclear. I like how uh, 
we have this sheet of info guys and a bunch of it are very helpful links to videos about it that both me and Josh forgot to watch before we recorded. So that's on us. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, anyways, uh, when this first starts, it feels like completely random, right? Like even when you start to see some connections, it's unclear that these are going to coalesce into anything. So when it yeah. does coalesce, it's like really interesting, right? Like I, I found yeah. it kind of fun and but there is some like tragic aspects to what is overall a very goofy funny movie one of which is after a number of times of this guy killing this woman he loves because she's continually killing him one time he kills her on christmas and when she comes back she's no longer trying to kill him and yeah. they are in love and like living together and everything is fine. And then Vinnie Jones's character comes by just to say thanks for the business, sees that she's back alive and decides this will not do and re-kills her this time for good. Permanently, yeah. Permanently. So, so tragic. It's such a bummer. It is oh, such a my bummer. Goodness. And yeah. like a like a lot of Japanese films in this vein, I would say these kind of more abstract, weird films, it has a very emotional climax, like an over-the-top mm. kind of like resolution that is utterly abstract, which is this, right? The mm. son of the family with the dad who thinks he's a bird. He just walks, he doesn't even walk, he hops around chirping. The son decides mm. the only resolution here is not to convince his dad that he's not a bird. It's to teach but his to dad, that his dad to fly. It's so, so good. So we get this whole sequence of him trying to teach his dad to fly. And he's tearing and trying and trying. And there's no resolution until the end when uh, our, character, our, our, our hippie character is thrown out a window, but then is mm. saved by the flying dad character. What? Oh, so good. So majestic. Yeah, oh, it's man. It's so great. It's oh, utterly ridiculous, and yet it's totally emotionally satisfying. And that line that I think a number of Japanese directors are able to hit of, I'm bending the very barriers of reality. I'm doing something that shouldn't work, and yet it still emotionally works, is like really satisfying for me. Yeah, I agree. This movie is wholly satisfying because it also has like a weird morality to this movie as well, right? Like, even though it's using these like ridiculous and abstract... So there's also a character of... Um, a young lady who is an ad, the, the lady who hires the uh, Vinnie Jones to kill the hypnotist. She's an advertising executive. And it starts with her in a meeting with um, Sonny Chiba for some goddamn reason. Sonny Chiba's in there as like the president of like this advertising board that they hired her to make um, commercials for. So throughout the movie, it's her talking to a tape recorder with wild ideas that she has. And she eventually hopes to like, transform into commercials and um i don't know what the tangent was that i brought that lady up for but you said there was some morality about her losing her tape recorder yeah yeah, yeah yeah the the whole thing is like this, there's this weird that it's like the perfect um it feels like a very well thought out metaphor for these like morality like um examinations of these people in their lives you know what i mean like it feels like they're they're it's not judgmental in that way, but there's a very clear statement being made in each of these weird and abstract like scenarios, and um, sure. these weird, abstract, and like seemingly disparate stories. It's so good. I think it's so well crafted, and um, 
Yeah, I absolutely. Did you love this movie, Liam? Did, would you say you loved it when you watched it for the first time? <clears throat> I think so. Yeah, I think it's mm, it's interesting because I didn't like a bittersweet life the first time I watched it. Mm. Uh, on rewatch, I really liked it. I think the kind of movie that a bittersweet life is is easier for me to connect with now because I don't watch as many of these kind of like weird uh, abstract Japanese films as I used to, you know? Mm. Um, so I didn't have an immediate emotional connection to it per se, but mm. the way it wraps up, I just find it very charming. And I think it yeah. helps that the performances are really solid. Um, and I also like the way that it, um, there's, the, there's the potential throughout the film of a weird gay panic subplot. So there's this thing with our three criminal characters where the one character is clearly not flirting with, but almost flirting with his co uh, uh, criminal. criminal. And it gets to a point where there's finally a resolution. And the resolution is that the other character is also gay and is totally into it. And I was nervous the whole movie that that was not how it was going to go. You know what I mean? Mm, and so yeah. the fact that it resolved the way it did is very satisfying. Now, is there a small part of me that kind of thinks like, I hope that's not meant to also be a joke. I don't think it is. I think it's meant to be uplifting that actually they love each other. But mm. it's it gave me some anxiety at first because I was like, ooh, if this goes <laughs> the other way, are. it's not going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that in 2004 – that level of uh, sort of uh, queer visibility, you know, even if it's not much, mm. it's not a main point of the movie. I do appreciate it, uh, but yeah, I think I th I honestly though think even though I get that it becomes one of the running jokes of the movie, this might be weird to say. I think I would have preferred this without Vinnie Jones. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the, the Vinnie Jones character is kind of distracting from the whole story. Yeah, right? like it's yeah, just, yeah. And and it's funny that he's the one asking about purpose in the entire movie, wherein even though his character has a distinct reason for being there, it doesn't. It's not very clear to me why he'd be in the movie. It, I don't you know. know I mean? like, despite the fact that I guess the director is a fan of his and a fan of mm. uh, the movies he's been in, I don't. Um, I don't find it too compelling as a plot point. It doesn't mean much to me. You know what I'm saying? And so mm -hmm. that part kind of, it didn't make me sad, but it bummed me out a little bit just because I felt like it was distraction from a movie that worked overall, especially because all the scenes that he's in, y'all, are very tedious because he says mm -hmm. stuff in English, then his partner says it to the person in Japanese, and then whatever they say back in Japanese, he whispers to Vinnie Jones. It makes every scene mm -hmm. he's in very plotting, and the joke isn't that funny. You know what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. not worth yeah. the time yeah. spent. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I mean, the, the weird plaid bondage suit on his uh, Japanese friend, though, is really funny. That part's really good. Really good. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Like, what is going on? But, um, yeah, this movie is super... It's, it's, it's one of those movies that I find to be very um, aesthetically pleasing. Like, the house that the, um, the hippie guy, that James Iha and his dead wife are in throughout the whole movie... It's just every single room and every interior shot in that those sequences is so beautiful visually, and it's so colorful, it's so expressive, and it's I think it's really really cool, and even like the the way they shot the food in those sequences I thought was like really interesting too, which is not a, you know I think that's kind of weird that I think that but I do think that so you know that's what I think, but um 
Yeah, I love this movie. I love this movie so much. I feel you. I think I uh, love it a lot, but I also want to watch it again um, mm. because I feel like... So this is something um, because... <laughs> Uh, we're, we're sort of coming at this a little bit fresh. I feel like there's a lot of underlying stuff going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. the narrative is not just the narrative. I think that there's more to it than that. And um, um, I think uh, it, I think it's a movie that on its surface, because it is kind of goofy and silly, it feels like there's not a lot going on. But I think if you want to, you can dig into that material um, and – it's worth doing that, I think. And I plan to do more of that. Um, but we, we're kind of short on time now. Uh, but uh, I think it's 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 worth doing that just to see, like, what was sort of going on in this thing? Because I don't think it's just meant to be random and silly, you know? Mm, yeah, agree, agree. It's so good, though. It's so good. Hopefully you'll join us for the screening on the first, or hopefully you'll, you'll hear this and then seek these movies out because I find them to be completely worth your time and um, really a joy. A joy of movies. These are two of my favorite movies, and I love them so much, which I'm pretty sure I said. So, <laughs> all right, we. I guess it's uh, time to wrap up this episode, Josh. Yes, I think we're done. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe, and um, you know, let us know what you thought about this episode. And if you're around, or if this comes out before the first, remember we're going to be uh, doing a thing with these things so holler at your boys and we'll let you know the details y'alls y'alls all right (laughs) talk to you later all right episode 132 done and done we'll talk to you soon a smoke bomb do you like spooky movies hair raising tales insightful criticism judgmental hot takes then you're gonna love horror business the horror podcast on the cinepunks podcast network dedicated to all things weird and spooky my name is Leo Dong. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.